from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to Edge the Edges, the show where we take the time to lean deep into discomfort when time allows to close the divides between us. The purpose and point of the show is to engage people who decide they want to do things. They want to step up. They want to step out, right? You know, ordinary people who are trying to do outsized things, so to speak, like take responsibility and be held accountable for helping to run our government, helping to make our community safer, more efficient. This is the call. This is the task. And today we have a special guest. She's been on the show before. Since then, she's won her primary and she's on the ballot in November here in the great county of Gwinnett, in the great state of Georgia, in these great United States of America. We have Rua Roman. Rua, Rua, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to just dive right in, Rua. You and I always have a free-flowing conversation. It always somehow manages to hit some good topics. But first and foremost, we want to make sure we remind the folks out there who you are, you know, what you're running for, what District 97 looks like, and, you know, the details of what you're trying to do. Sure. So um, my name is Rua Roman. I'm running for State House District 97, and I'm officially the Democratic nominee. State House District 97 is new-ish. It combines sort of a bunch of other districts through the gerrymandering process, which was gerrymandering, not redistricting. We can go into that later. But it includes the cities of Berkeley Lake, Duluth, Norcross, and Peachtree Corners on the west side of Gwinnett. It's an incredibly diverse district, but it's sort of a very interesting district in the sense that a good chunk of the population is transient, lives in apartments, doesn't really turn out the vote. So we're going to have a very sort of intense election just in the sense of making sure people make it to the voting polls. But we're really excited. Absolutely. And, you know, as ever, every time we talk, I can feel the energy coming from you absolutely ran an outstanding campaign. But you just touched on something that I think is critically important. And that's the reason why we're doing these podcasts, so to speak, of of going through the candidates that are running in November. You said the population, to some degree, is transient. And, you know, that amplifies a problem that we know we have just in general going into midterms and off elections. And that's just getting out the vote. So how are you going to address that rule? What's the plan? you know, to try and get these folks to, you know, take up the responsibility of exercising the franchise. Yeah. So to sort of explain the plan, I kind of have to set the stage. In the primary, we spent a lot of time door knocking. We knocked 7,000 doors in about two months and it's a suburban area. So it's pretty spread out. We had a lot of gated communities, a lot of apartments. So it took some time. And then what we did was the ones we couldn't reach, we called. And that sort of mix of voter outreach really helped us reach a ton of voters along with digital media and mailers. We're gonna be doing the same in the general while learning or using, I guess, what we learned from the primary in the general. And what that looks like is, you know, we now know where the gated communities are. We're actually gonna reach out to people in those communities and have them sponsor a canvas and just take us around their neighborhood. We are going to more proactively reach out to people because absentee ballots were a nightmare in the primary. We had people that could not vote because they either got COVID last minute or they got their ballot last minute, but then the only voting location was one left post the early um, voting. And so we now know how to proactively mitigate that, how to make sure people have all the information that they need to vote. 
The other nice thing is people now know us. They know our campaign. They know they can reach us. We have a campaign email. We have a campaign number. There's our website with voting resources on it. And that's always been there, but now people know about it. And that's exciting. Absolutely. So I, I want to say to the folks out there that are listening, right? You know, especially folks in District 97, here's the deal. You know, Edge the Edges is all around appropriate engagement. And that's engagement as a citizen. You know, not someone that's uh, volunteering, not necessarily someone who's running for office. It's just a person who said, look, you know, I've only got time to take care of my kid, my family, go to work and then come home. I get it. But the one thing, the one thing we stress is that you exercise the franchise, you do your civic responsibility. So paying attention to what Rue has just said is critically important. You know, it's not just about voting for the president. It's about the local elections. Folks tend to say all politics is local. The president isn't responsible for the road outside your front door, the traffic lights at the intersection down the street, the local policies that govern how much money goes to whom and to where for what and what gets zoned how and whatever. And the things that apply at the state level, the same rules apply. So if you're not making it your business to at least, to at the very least, Go to Rua's website, get to know who she is as an individual, listen to this podcast as she shares her story, then you're doing yourself and your community a disservice. Absolutely. Please internalize that and act appropriately. Thus ended the speech. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's actually my newest shtick, not shtick, but I guess the thing I've been trying to tell more people about because when you're in politics it make everything makes sense to you kind of comes easy you've been doing this for a long time you kind of know how it works but one of the biggest lessons I learned is taking a step back and consistently telling people about the fundamentals because you'd be surprised how few people know about the fundamentals specifically the fundamentals of building political power a lot of people are surprised when they come to our campaign and realize wait, door, I can door knock. That's, I actually didn't need prior experience for that. We train them and we set them out. Uh, they didn't realize, for example, they can help us with things like social media or content creation, or you know, they have a talent they wanna share. My mom, who's never been interested in politics, would cook for us. That was her way of bringing joy and supporting the campaign. She's an incredible cook. She brings community together. And that was the skills she brought to the campaign. That's how she helped us build community and political power. And I always remind people, we kind of briefly talked about this before, is everyone has something to give and provide in this space because, you know, maybe you're shy and you're an introvert and you hate knocking on doors and that's fine, but you're a great cook or a great baker or someone who loves talking to people on the phone, but not face to face. Like there's literally a space for everyone here and it doesn't require prior experience. It just requires you to show up. That is so powerfully important just show up and again it's not just showing up and it's not just showing up for you it's 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 showing up for yourself right i think that's something that folks really need to understand and internalize this is about you your governance and what you expect from those who you put in charge of your community where we live and and and, and you know how we work all of those things critically important stuff. Now, you mentioned something else, too, and I want to make sure we touch on that, you know, absentee voting and the difficulties in the primary. And you alluded to that a little while ago. We know we've uh, we've had changes here in North Georgia. We we know that um, we can laugh about it, unfortunately, because it's really not that funny. But it is politics and brinkmanship by standard and unfortunate tradition. It's the Game of Thrones, and I like to still call it the Game of Thrones because some people say, well, Derek, you know, it's not like dragons and people fighting with swords and people dying. Well, actually, it is. You see, when you when you lean in in such a manner and you you make the other other, you get in the office and you're beholden to policies and promises, those policies can hurt people. And to be quite honest, some policies do hurt so much that they create crises and people die. You know, and that is not a hard extrapolation. That's real. And it goes straight through healthcare and how we manage that. So I want folks to be thinking about that. But again, think about it when the time is upon you to do and be accountable. So we've had the absentee voting thing, and that's not going to be easy anymore. Not here in Georgia. You mentioned that. I think the ask, and you tell me if I'm wrong on that, Rue, is 
everybody just needs to get up and get out there and do something. You got to vote. And if you vote early, all the better. So maybe should that be where we focus our energy and our message that folks who early vote? It's sort of a, I think it's actually a mixture. I think that there has been a lot of understandable resentment when people ask, what can we do? And the answer is just vote harder or vote more. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of things that were promises that were made that haven't come through, right? A, a really good example of this is student loan forgiveness, or at least some action on student loans. We can restructure it. We can forgive it. There's a lot that we can do there that's actually good policy that isn't just one thing. And so a lot of people will sit there and ask me, they'll say, well, I voted. I voted in 2020. I did my job. Why are you telling me to vote again? And that's why I focus on building political power, because I tell people, imagine you have a tool belt and voting is just that one of those many tools. It's not the only tool. And when you use a tool, you don't just use it once. If you're building something or fixing something or, or you know, trying to do something, you don't actually leverage something just one time. You actually have to do it consistently and you have to have a plan. And there's, you know, a lot that goes into that. And similarly, in the case of voting, I tell them, imagine it's one of multiple prongs that holds up your roof. You got to vote. That's that's one of them. And the reason we tell people to vote early is there's just so much that's been implemented that to prevent people to vote. Right. We were way more likely and way more able, I think is the better word, to help someone if they voted early because there was time to fix what they needed. There was time to get them in touch with the right organizations. There was time to get them to the polls. And with early voting, you can do it while you're running an errand because you can vote anywhere in the county that you're in. You don't have to go to a specific location unlike election day where you risk machines randomly being down or you know, you're running late to your job or to school or something happens that that was your only chance and you kind of let it go. And when we have a margin of 100 votes per county, that's essentially on average how Biden won, was about 100 extra votes per county. When that's your margin, you don't want to leave anything up to chance. And so you build political power that way. You vote consistently. And then you look at that and you say, okay, by voting consistently, you become a block of people that that party, that candidate takes seriously because they know that if they lose your vote, they're losing something big. And they know that if you were to be primaried, for example, the people who supported you because of that one issue that you're not actually you know giving on you're you're gone that's how you build political power you it's sort of a carrot and a stick right you tell someone i'm going to vote for you because i believe in your policy really need you to do this thing if you don't do this thing you're going to get primaried and that's just the reality of the situation and that's how you have political power you have to have consequences too absolutely and interestingly enough to, to throw it out there like that folks please bear in mind we were just walking through a really concise civics course because unfortunately, folks either never learned it or we don't get it. I mean, what we're talking about here is the proper aggregation of power, political power in the American system. And over time, consistently, as we jump from one area to the next, we lose sight of that. Primary is a real thing. And it's fundamentally um, necessary to look at that same model on the other side of the ideological divide, because we all know that there are well-meaning Republicans, folks who want to call themselves conservatives, who don't think in the manner that over the last few years were like, what's going on? You guys are crazy or something? Because that person that was the previous president was really off his rocker to, to make it plain. And a lot of Republicans don't support him. But again, to Rua's point, the aggregation of power at the lower levels, the, the decades-long planning of understanding on the Republican side that you know all politics is local and moving along those lines to build that power, this has been the unfortunate end result. It's been good for their side in some respects, but in others, it's hard for a politician to step away from that if he will get primary for saying, I no longer support Trump. Folks, pay attention. You see that happening right now. And I promise you, there are people who, they, they say, they support Donald Trump still, but a large part of them, or hopefully we would believe so, they're doing that because they want to win. You know, not because that's really who they are, or what they believe. And again, that's our hope and our intent. But again, you also become beholden to that group. And that means you have to do certain things if you do win. And please bear in mind, we see the result. We see the result. You know, folks get harmed. You know, you, you, you got elected on this and now you have to do a thing. Whether you believe it or not, it's, it's, it's what you do. 
And that takes me to where the um, GOP has led us now, Rua. Your perspective on, because it's a necessary thing, right, at all levels, and the action now needs must take place at the state level. Roe versus Wade is gone. Mm -hmm. It's gone. It's behind us. What do we do next? Yeah, we're in a post-Roe world. The Dobbs decision essentially overturned Roe v. Wade, and I do want to take a second to remind people that this has a lot of broader implications than just abortion. This also talks a lot about your your right to privacy as a patient, as a user. I mean, there is so much that has rested on the Roe decision that I don't think we have fully wrapped our arms around it. In terms of what comes next, you know, this sort of ties back to what you said earlier. This was the culmination of decades of work by Republicans to overturn Roe v. Wade. This didn't happen overnight. This was a death by a thousand cuts. This was a thousand lawsuits brought about by state legislators all around the country. And when we say that local politics matters, this is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that these laws that are passed on a state level, they eventually do have national implications. It's why we should always care about what's happening in our own backyard because we always think, oh, you know, and for a long time, people did. They didn't, they thought, you know, even if this heartbeat bill passes in Georgia, which it did, and now it's in effect, there's always row to keep it in place. There's always row to keep it in check. There's always something on a federal level that will protect us. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. And it's, it's not that bad. And people kept calling a lot of us alarmists. They said, you guys are just, you know, um, too far left. You don't know what's going on. And here we are in a post-row world because there are a lot of us, especially those from minority backgrounds, like Muslims, like members of the Black community, members of the Jewish community, basically every minority possible has been yelling. We've been the canary in that coal mine telling people, please listen to us, because when things like the Muslim ban happened and SCOTUS upheld it, how did that not set off alarm bells? You know, how did that not show people, hey, there's something happening and this is setting the stage for some really serious things. And Again, going back to the state legislature, why leave anything up for grabs? Why expose yourself? If you, This is just simply talking tactics at this point and strategy. For a long time, like you said, the focus has been the presidency and Congress, but you don't build political power only at the top. You got to do it from the bottom up and top down. It's a multi-pronged approach. And races like mine, you know, I hate to say this, but Yes, you should be donating to your local races. Yes, you should be voting for your local elected officials that are willing to protect your right to accessing life-saving health care, such as abortions. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, I'm already hearing from friends who, one of them actually was telling me yesterday, she, she was in a car accident. She'd gone to a hospital. It happened to be a Christian hospital in Maryland. And they refused to give her the imaging she needed for the pain in her back because they thought she might be pregnant. She wasn't. Oh. But they refuse, and you know, MRIs are actually not like there are a lot of different types of imaging you can do that are not dangerous to a fetus. Yeah, she, I mean, it's like they were trying. It's not like this is something that was. She just needed medical care. This wasn't even about an abortion. This wasn't even ectopic pregnancy. This was simply normal, average, everyday type of care that she was denied access to because they were worried she might be pregnant. We are hearing about people who are no longer able to access their medications, especially for autoimmune diseases, because those medications might cause abortions. Third, when we talk about the medical implications of this, when we talk about how we don't fully know what just happened, this is what I'm talking about. It's not just the ectopic pregnancies that burst and you're going to die because you're not getting medical attention. It, women right now, everything will now be secondary to our reproductive organs. I have an aneurysm. Is she pregnant? I, you know, broke my leg. Is she pregnant? Like it is, I have COVID. Is she pregnant? Like that is always going to be the first question that people ask, especially healthcare providers who are now worried about the liability that they're going to experience because of this decision. And so we can, but we can stop it, right? We can increase our, our numbers in the state house and state Senate, which by the way, the house is flippable. I still believe it's flippable within the next two cycles here in Georgia. Mm. If you get Stacey Abrams, she can veto a lot of these bad bills as we work to mitigate the harms in them and actually add in some good stuff. I mean, there's, there is a path forward. It's, I hear people like, I'm going to flee the South. I'm going to flee the South. Stay there and fix it. Yeah. And it's, and it's the, the crazy thing. It's so fixable. It just, takes people. I mean, I know it's, I'm really not being oversimplistic here. That's just the reality. Yeah. 
And it's hilarious too, unfortunately. But 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 again, so folks, we would just describe it. Like I said, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. This is policy in action that can cost and will and has cost lives. I mean, that that's a, that's a hell of a thing. And then she just immediately moved to the fix. And you know, we we're saying it back and forth. It's such a simplistic thing. And we hope to see the right change, but we know some of you still won't show up. And that's what we really want to emphasize to you today. The fix is get up, get out, and get something. A ballot in particular. And vote. Do that. Do if you do nothing else, do that. Do it for selfish reasons. Do it because it will benefit you and understand exactly why. Because uh, uh, a lot of folks, a lot of regular folks out there, you know, please understand and, and, and listen to the implications, right? You, yourself, your, your, your daughter, you know, your wife, your husband, right? And you've always wanted to hold the line with regard to your party. I'm just going to ask you to take a step back and think a little deeper. You know, what are the implications? Think about what we just laid out. How might this really affect you in a given situation? Do you really understand the stats behind abortions? Because most folks don't. They don't. They don't. They you know they just make the assumption the right to life, and it will. And, and I like to, you know I'll just say this rule. I'm pro life. I've always been pro life. And then you know my friends go, well, Derek, what are, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, let me explain. I'm pro life because I believe in the sanctity of all life. I think we need to be making sure that women can protect their lives. Oh, Derek, you're just being funny. No, I'm being serious. Because again, this isn't a talking point I'm making. Are you actually pro-life or are you that other thing? I'm not talking about pro-abortion abortion or anti-abortion. I'm taking pro-life back for the meaning which it should be applied. Too many folks out there say, have the baby. And we all know this when It's become a trope over the years. Have the kid and then the kid goes straight into the prison the, uh, the school to prison pipeline is nobody takes care of the kid after the kid is here, especially when someone has the audacity to spend a three to five thousand dollars to put an anti-abortion ad in the middle of the hood. You know, don't kill your baby. Well, when the baby's here, what are we going to do? Well, there are enough organizations and, and nonprofits out there to take care of that child. Really? Well, where have they been? And I mean that you look because they're not going to all of a sudden just pop out now that Roe versus Wade is done. Where have they been? Where is the proof? I'll tell you where they've been. They're not there. Taking care of every individual that is born out of wedlock or from circumstance, you don't want that to be the job of government because you believe they become welfare recipients and welfare queens make them. And then in the same tone, you're saying we got to get rid of welfare and, you know, um, she can't have an abortion. What's missing? Education, understanding, and compassion. What's missing? The fact that life should be sanctified. That woman's life, especially for a woman that finds herself a victim of circumstance and she's in an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, she's been raped and she's 12 years old, 10 years old. You know, how is it you can get in front of a state legislature and someone ask you that question and you stutter? You, you, you step on yourself in an attempt to respond. The answer should be an emphatic no. Protect that 10-year-old girl. What in the living hell? Pro-life. Be real pro-life. Take care of the living so that they can better take care and decide and choose for the lives to come. That's where we should be. I guarantee you, Rue, and I think I may have shared this with you before. I wound up saying it a few weeks back. I told folks I used to be avid in Toastmasters. And, you know, I was winning speeches and I said, I'm going to win the Georgia State uh, contest and I'm going to go to the local one and I'm going to do my speech. And my speech was on how we can fix abortion. And I got up in front of that crowd and I started talking about stats from Japan and how in some countries, you know, you focus on education and, you know, idle hands, you know, make idle babies. But if the hands aren't idle, then the kids make better decisions, blah, blah, blah. The stats will go down because the boys and the girls or working to improve all of that. When I was done, the crowd was quiet. I got a couple of claps. I said, did I blow it? They went and they, they judged and they came back and told me, Derek, that was an amazing speech. Um, 
but please don't ever do anything like that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that it wasn't an amazing speech. It's just that, you know, you were so serious. The topic was so serious. We, 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 we didn't come here to hear that. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, else why would I do it? I learned my lesson that day, right? They wanted to hear the story about how you overcame something and everyone was happy and loving at the end or the funny anecdote about how you fell off a skateboard when you were a child. Those were the speeches that one, I got it against serious topics. No one wants to hear about that. But in the same token, I had to tell them like, well, dude, I get it. But I had to do the speech because it's the thing that I know people need to hear. And, you know, um, I'm just a regular everyday dude. And if I can get more people to hear it and think that way, then maybe somehow it'll aggregate and you know, we can see a little bit of change because it's 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 accurate. It really is. You look at other social structures and societies and you see them trying to cope with a declining birth rate because everybody is educated and everybody is focused on trying to build something that just doesn't happen that way. It's, it's a real thing. And, you know, and then you go look at the areas where you see the stats. And again, the stats don't necessarily always tell the total picture, right? Well, it's not like kids are wholesale going to get abortions. Those, those don't predominate the numbers. But the ones that do, the ones that do, if they had better choices, don't we think they would make them? Yeah. It just ain't that hard. And it's ironic because the same people who are like, leave, you know, get government out of my life are the same people who want government right in the most intimate, intense decision you have to make. And my favorite phrase, I'm paraphrasing this, but my favorite phrase has been Warnock's where he says, the patient's room is just too small for a woman, her doctor and the government. Ooh, and I think yes. that's such a beautiful visual because it's truly, I mean, it is true. You just simply, just from a policy perspective, you just, there's no way to write legislation that can effectively and holistically take into account all the possible right. exceptions, all the possible concerns, all the possible complications that can happen with something like this. And it was so fascinating for me to watch some of the Hill hearings on this because a lot of the people who purport to call themselves pro-life were twisting themselves into knots trying yeah. to justify their position to the point that, you know, they were asked if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy and her life is in danger, then what happens? And they're like, well, those aren't abortions. And I remember the representative was like, what? I think what? it was like, well, he's like, no, 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 that is that is literally an abortion. Like just because you agree with it being okay does not make it an abortion. It's kind of like, hey, when we take positions, we have to be willing to, to you know, maintain those positions, even if it's hard. And I think, yes. was it, I think it was like John Stewart that said, you know, if your values aren't consistent when it's hard, then they're just hobbies. And I remember <laughs> just laughing because it's so true. Our values are complicated and they're difficult and you can't just find a way to be more comfortable with them by pretending the reality isn't what it is. That's just yeah. not the way the world works. And it makes everything so much more difficult. And, you know, it goes back to the idea of circumstances and people's circumstances. And this morning I was reflecting and I realized my life is so much more like so much more full of contentment and gratitude because I mind my own business mm. and the reason which is ironic because I'm running to be a state legislator but, <laughs> you know, legislator but you know it's really funny but it's true if I don't involve myself in people's personal lives especially in a way that isn't supportive and understanding of them it just makes my life so much more whole because I'm able to approach the world from an open and understanding perspective rather than a judgmental and controlling perspective. And that is that has made such a big difference in my outlook, but also in my friendships and my relationships. And I just I like to think, what if so many more of us did that? What if so many more of us took a second, one, worked on ourselves because our own self-work is really hard yeah. before we worried about what other people are doing. But two, let's also talk about the fact that you will never know as a human being who you are as a person. You will never understand another person's circumstances because you simply didn't live their life. You don't know what they went through. You don't know what forced them to make the decisions that they did. I mean, there's just no way because we all live different lives. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. And, you know, whether it's on topics like abortion or, you know, even something like tax credits, 
a lot of people like to justify voting Republican because they say, oh, Republicans are fiscally conservative and they'll lower my taxes. But then if you look at the most recent budget that passed here in Georgia, I think the numbers were something insane, like it'll raise the taxes on corporations by $27 over the next 10 years. But on the normal average everyday Georgian, it's literally thousands of dollars. Yeah. Thousands. So when we talk about living our values and our legislation, our budget and all this other stuff and being fiscally conservative, I look at something like that and I say, I'm literally not even getting, you know, payment or I'm not even getting the benefit of holding this terrible <laughs> position. To be frank, like it's it's just the way it is. It's just not good policy. And, you know, there's just no consistency. And that's what drives me really crazy to see a lot of this is I mean, the absurd lack of consistency is the best way to put it. Yeah, and then you, you are absolutely right. And that is the thing because, you know, especially and that, that's one of the reasons I had to get off Facebook. You know, I only go on there to, you know, help push the message, get the podcast out and, and all that stuff. Other than that, I try my best <laughs> not to get involved in any of the deeper conversations because, you know, they um you, you, you see brain cells. Die. It's like going to a stadium to watch brains go out there on the field and obliterate each other. You know, neurons flying everywhere, brain cells just dying. And then no one's scoring. Or at least when they think they're scoring them, all the brains are just smashed together. Like, you all look bad. You all look bad. And they're out there in that web 2.0 space, blowing each other apart. And like you said, it's the misinformation, it's the disinformation. All that applies. Whenever I've had critical thinking conversations with friends on the other side of the ideological divide, invariably we can find common ground. You know, and and they don't like it, of course. You know, we don't call each other um uh what you, what you, what is it, Republican or Demitard or any of those <laughs> things and all of that nonsense. And because those those labels divide us and categorize us. And you know, if you're not hitting my point on my team, then you're the enemy. No, you're, you're, that's an American. It's your fellow American. You just need to start talking facts. You really need to just start talking facts. And I hate to say it, but in this world, in this post-Trump era, only one party and one side seems to want to stick to the facts. You know, I, and I have to go back to some of the messaging we're seeing now, right? You talk about the tax cuts. You know, folks just disavow history. And, you know, Ronald Reagan was not the great tax cut man you think he was. You, you should go back and look at that. Even in the presidency before that last guy, and he was, he was, you know, he was a nutter, you know? I was going to say, folks should really check out someone took a bunch of long-term economic graphs, like income inequality, you know, healthcare costs, whatever. And anytime there's a weird shift, right? They put a head, like Ronald Reagan's head of where he got elected. And truly that's like, you literally see the impact of his Paul. And I mean, this is what we talk about when we say the policies we implement today is just so much. I mean, it just has so much impact in the future. Yes. folks, And folks, we, we just, I think we really have to find much better and simplistic ways to convey that, like a graph with the head on it. That, that that helps a lot. But, you know, when you start, especially Democrats are really bad at this, you know, we start digging into the details and you want to give a person a dissertation. That's a glass stove. We live in a TikTok society. We got to be better about disseminating information. Like the one for me, like I really big up on, since you're talking tax credits, that TV, that big one on the wall over there that I glance at every once in a while, <laughs> I see a commercial come up and the one that I hate the most is the one where they say Warnock supported Biden's inflation plan, oh. uh, inflation plans. And I like it, it and, I, and I want folks to hear me and spread this word clearly. That commercial says to you, you're stupid and dumb. Yes. And a lot of folks really are gonna be, well, what do you mean? If you believe that commercial, then the PR firm and the people who support that they think you're a lemon. They think you're a snowflake, whatever the hot word is. They think you're dumb. First off, the economy doesn't work that way. That is not how inflation is generated. Second off, oh, you guys forgetting we just came out of the, we're still in a pandemic, so to speak. But when you see supply chain disruption, demand increase, supplies go down. If anybody took a college level econ class 101, you understand the results of that type of economic activity. And then when they talk about spending plans and policies, they missed the fact that Biden hadn't done anything yet. He's just now getting ready to finally get an opportunity to do so. The spending came from Donald John Trump, in case you didn't know. He was the guy that did the stimulus. He was the guy that sent out the checks. And I can't even say that they were wrong. I got my check. 
and I kept it. I didn't even spend it, unlike what it was designed to do, to stimulate. Because I believe in putting my money to work appropriately, I put it in the bank, and then I moved it over into my investment account, and there goes my economic activity. That's what I decided to do with the stimulus check. I believe I was in the right. But again, facts matter. I got it from the orange guy. You know, not from this new dude, my president. I, it, it wasn't him. And look, to be clear, one time or two time payments of $1,200 does not make inflation. No. Be, like there, I want to say two things here. One, that ad that's been running for months, I know exactly which one you're talking about. You can't watch a video without seeing it if you're in Georgia. Yes. Yes. And the same thing is, every single Republican voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. Every single one of them. Every single one of them has voted against preventing price gouging of gas. Every single one of them has prevented us from being able to hold corporations accountable because fun fact, inflation isn't just caused by, what was it, labor wages and two-time stimulus checks. That's not how the economy works. Inflation and prices are set by corporations. Did we have supply chain issues? Yes, 100%. But when you look back at the data, there's just simply no support to account for the amount of inflation that we're seeing, especially with the record profits that corporations are continuing to report quarter after quarter. Or to say it differently, that is the point, right, Rua? Oh, of course it's the point. But I'm not saying, like, if you're someone that doesn't believe that, if you're someone that believes corporations are holy and, like, they can do no wrong, let's be honest and let's call a spade a spade, right? There are people, at the end of the day, millions of people who are now permanently disabled because of COVID. There are now over a million people dead because of COVID. You're telling me that that's not going to cause supply chain issues? You're telling me that somebody making a living wage is the reason we have inflation and supply chain issues? That to me is absurd. And I think it's time that we started to very emphatically push against a lot of this, frankly, corporate propaganda that wants us to be convinced that it's the little guy next door. It's my neighbor next door trying to make a living and trying to support his or her family or their family. But that, no, instead of the corporation, I have a really difficult time believing that, continuing to see the fact that when we bailed out airline companies as a really great example of this, two years ago, we bailed them out, gave them a ton of money. They bought back a bunch of stock. And then what did they do? They didn't actually, well, they couldn't lay off people because they were trying to keep those loans. Instead, they tried to buy people out into early retirement. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Now people can't get their flights on time. People can't get to where they need to go. People have missed funerals, weddings, the final moments of, of loved ones and family members, all because of one thing, corporate greed. Our entire financial system has become unsustainable, and it's time that we seriously talk about it. You want to talk about a Georgia exam- example? Speaker Ralston had to use all of his political capital, all of his political capital for a mental health bill that was broadly supported because a lot of these same private health insurance companies and corporations were mad that it was going to cut into their profit margins that they make off of the illness of Georgians, mental and physical illness of Georgians. And it's the Speaker of the House in a Republican state who literally had to deal with the most insane conspiracy theories because those people have money and they can do that. Isn't that insane? Yes, things to truly internalize. Truly internalized, and and not at it. It goes back to what you were just saying. Rule. We don't need to go in depth on these things because a lot of folks just don't have time. But it's just the surface points that we have to say. This is the fact. That's the lie. What do you think? What do you think? You you paid all of that for the gas, and did we really really experience that shortage that they're talking about? There's a war going on on the other side of the planet. You know, one country isn't able to export as much anymore. We don't have the same refinery capacity, but a lot of these things are predicated and built on what the market says is going to happen. So the guy up the street at my quick trip goes out there and he raises the prices because he says he's learned that someone told him at headquarters the price of oil is going to go up, which increases across the board. But over the course of the last few months, as we understand this, what has fluctuated and what has really changed? We've been in the same state for months. The yeah. same war, the same shortages, the same negotiations, the same models, the same economy. And the price is coming back down now. Right. I'm just going to let folks think on that. You right. think on that when you decide who you want to... Do you want someone that's going to question 
and ask in order to make your life better? Are you gonna do you want do you want someone that's gonna lie to you? Exactly. <laughs> and, and and I can't make it any plainer than that. And and the most infuriating thing is not just lie to you, trick you. Because if you remember when gas prices went up, a ton of gas stations had those little Joe Biden stickers that said, I did that. And it, there, the president has zero control over gas prices. That is the reality. That is the situation. People can get mad about it all they want. But, but that the is the cold, hard truth. And somebody out there said, you are dumb. I'm going to take advantage of you and your pain. And instead of giving you real solutions, for example, like reducing our dependency on foreign oil, making our, our transportation more sustainable and, and more public, there are so many things that they could be focusing on. Instead, they try to make you mad instead of showing you how you can make your life better. How about and that, that, that is the most infuriating thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this happens to us all the time, but we're burning <laughs> through it. But I, I did want to at least ask you, okay, so you, you, you've got an election coming up yes. and you've got an opponent. Is yes. there anything you want to share about your perspective versus his so folks can know the difference? Absolutely. So, you know, we don't know a lot about my opponent. He didn't do a lot in the primary. We haven't really seen much of him over the summer or, or anything now either. And, but what I will say is based on his, you know, messaging, website, et cetera, he calls himself an America first MAGA candidate. Um, he is a very hardcore Trump supporter. And the unfortunate thing is that the Gwinnett GOP, and we'll be sending out messages about this soon, is uh, hosted a known neo-Nazi sympathizer and Islamophobe on Saturday for a breakfast fundraiser. So, you know, that's who he's choosing to associate with. That's who he's choosing to hitch his wagon to. And I I don't know if it's, you know, I don't want to be like, my race is going to get ugly because we don't know, right? But right it's not a very good early sign considering the fact that it's only August that that's who they've chosen as their fundraising keynote speaker on a Saturday morning over some pancakes and a side of hate. Like that is not a great situation. No. So what I tell people is this, yes, it's a blue district. Yes. It's where they packed a bunch of Democrats, but we have a lot of people that don't vote in my district, even though we have a good margin, it's not a, enough of a margin that if people don't turn out, we could still lose this. Don't take so it for granted. We are fundraising. We are going to be raising $150,000. We are going to be knocking just as many doors, if not more, as we did in the primary. We're going to be making the phone calls. We're going to be out in the community because nothing has changed for us. And at the end of the day, if you know getting Stacey Abrams elected matters to you, her route to that governor's mansion runs right through my district, Absolutely. period. And we will not succeed if we don't get voters out in places like my district. So, you know, please, when we talk about building political power, this is how you do it. We train people, we teach people, we will find something for you to do. Um, reach out to us. All of our information is at ruaforgeorgia.com. That's R-U-W-A, the number four, Georgia spelled out.com. You know, come find us. We are, I promise you, we try to make it fun. We're going to have a, you know, now that it's fall, we're going to have like a s'mores one, like a s'mores uh, <laughs> themed canvas my mom is gonna cook it's gonna be great so awesome awesome so i want everyone to think about that right you know um it's not just uh, all the heavy stuff that rue and i just kind of threw out there for you guys to digest red meat it's fun hanging out and getting s'mores too so please keep yes. that in mind <laughs> you know you can get to see have a good time meet some good people have some discussion and yeah we will of course be talking about the important topics but the point is is you know even if you don't have enough time to volunteer or engage in these things on a daily basis what we're asking you to do is absolutely so necessary because we want you to be able to go to work take care of your family and do the things that you want to do in a community that's safe efficient and when needed you can call and people will come and we can pay for it because we are funding the things appropriately, not to institute something as stupid or asinine as big government or as stupid and asinine as no government at all. Neither model works. We need government that is the right size for the right number of people for the right circumstance, and we need to pay for it appropriately. And we need folks in office who understand that. And it is my personal belief that Rua understands that. So please, guys, get engaged with her. Rua, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you so much. This was really great. Absolutely. We got to have you on again. I can't wait. Who represents you? This is the question we will keep asking. 
we must keep asking it, right? It's incredibly important. We want you to consider critically who is stepping up to run for office and why. We have to make it plain because the divide is wider than ever before and each and every race matters. As Rua says, the future runs right through Gwinnett County and in particular, her district. We have to get the vote out. Every vote matters. Every election matters. Every race matters. That is the call to action. Now, act. Thank you, Rua, for making it plain for us. Thank you for etching the edges with us today. And of course, we have to thank you, our listeners, for taking the time to etch the edges with us on our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, so please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EtchTheEdges, and don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out. Join the movement. Express your commitment to the cause. Cause for a better America, a better world, where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Indeed. Do it for a better world. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.